Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday Eve. <laughs> and it's scheduled to be a bit of a stormy one, is it not? I've seen some recent updates on that. The round of severe weather moving through the state, starting in the northwest corner and tracking towards the southeast, moving somewhat in that on that line. Oh, last yeah. I checked, and uh, sometime this afternoon, right about the time we get uh, off the air here. Yeah, it's going to start northwest, move southeast, and it'll be through the Magnolia State by. Late supper time? That looks it'll right. It'll be after dark tonight, but it'll be out of here within the day. Chance for severe weather, some gusty winds, some hail predicted, but I haven't seen anything predicting tornadic weather, which is always a good thing. That's good. And going uh, to get a little chilly behind the front. Oh, right? yeah. The cold front's following quickly behind it, and uh, we'll be going from shorts weather this afternoon to bundling back up in the morning <laughs> with lows in the 30s. For the whole weekend. Well, you actually talked about that last week when we had uh, a bit of the springy type weather, and you said hey, it ain't Full done. Spring. Yeah, exactly. So here we are, but we are uh, nice and cozy and comfortable here in the Element Well Studios and Super Talk headquarters. A lot of stuff going on out there, folks, and uh, we got it for you today. For sure. It's another one of those days, Rhino, where I feel like there's more to talk about than we got time. Because there's so much happening, obviously, within our state, with the legislature in session. Bit of a respite right now as they take up bills transmitted from the other chambers. But on the national scale, so much to get to as well, and we'll... We'll take a shot at that, as we always do. Stuart Watley with the Palace Theater in Macomb, Mississippi, will join us in the next segment. And then at 11.05, Pat Wilson and Cheryl Burrow both are with the Mississippi Industries for the Blind. They'll be in the Element Well Studios discussing what uh, the organization provides to the blind and vision-impaired citizens in the state of Mississippi. Looking forward to those discussions. So, you know, yesterday I left here, Rhino, thinking about the text we received a couple of days ago where 
the uh, the listener, the member of our audience, was accusing us of, of lying and, and said, I know if you're lying because I watch Fox News and I see what you're consuming. So I, I thought about that, and I just wanted to point out, I watch a little bit of Fox News, but I've made it clear that from from the perspective of my television viewing, spend most time there on the business channel. I like Fox Business quite a bit, and in particular, there's some shows I really enjoy. Larry Kudlow would rank as my favorite. That's my goal, by the way, is to be a guest on his show or have him on this show. Mr. Kudlow worked in the Trump administration, and his show comes on daily in the afternoon. And for those of us that enjoy economic policy, especially at the federal level, he just is great in that respect, and, and his great analysis, and has guests on that I always enjoy hearing from, many of whom, of course, are members of the uh, U.S. Congress on the Senate and House side, and I enjoy hearing their perspectives. I like to hear Charles Payne give um, his shows great, Making Money, I believe is the name of it, and uh, it's, it's always entertaining and informative. And I like Varney in the morning. I like uh, typically when I wake up six o'clock or so and turn the turn the television on and tune in to Maria Bartiromo. Now I should point out, I've been a Larry Kudlow fan and have been watching his shows since he was on CNBC long time ago, before there was such a thing as, as Fox Business, which by the way is not part of the typical package from the streaming services and the cable services and satellite television services. It's, it's additional, typically. It's not in the base package. But besides that... No, I mean, they got to make their money off the businessmen. That's right. You know, those dirty, greedy, rich, wealthy <laughs> business people got to hit the hip. It's so ridiculous. Uh, and so, no secret, I have it on here in the studio. I've got uh, we got two televisions here. One, of course, is our video feed, our monitor, and the other to the left side of our camera, which is pointed at me, and you've got one in there pointed at you and our guests as well. Uh, I, the other television is tuned. I tune it to Fox Business. I like to watch the uh, the news as it scrolls across and the headlines, and of course the markets. It's always got a box showing the status of the market at any point in time. But I just want to point out that this particular listener that made the statement, I watch Fox News, meaning I know where you get your lies from. You get them. That, that was the insinuation. Would you agree that was kind of what was implied, or am I misreading that? That's one angle you could take. I'd look at it as that person is just willfully ignorant and is not deserving <laughs> of the time it takes to discuss the matter. Well... Uh, and I certain you're you're writing that I'm not trying to call out, uh, call more attention to that person. It, instead, however, I did want to point out that I consume a whole lot more data and news. I'm not a person who just tunes in to one source, and I think a lot of people in our society, on both sides of the political aisle, you would agree. Pretty much, pretty much consume one, maybe two sources, and so what happens is, is both sides say, "Oh, you got to keep, you got to quit watching this or reading that. That's where you're getting all your information from." So it's it's 
one view. I can tell you I haven't turned on Fox in better part of a month, and long before that it was several months. Okay. I just have no interest in watching it. I mean, I, I do occasionally if if maybe I'm not Same too... Same goes for CNN. ...too interested. Yeah, and of, of what's happening on the business channel. I can get ten times the information they can give me in half the time. I totally agree with you on that. And that's the beauty of our digital world, right? There are a multitude of sources through multiple modes. Which is why I chuckle when somebody thinks they know more than I do. <laughs> I'm I do with this you. for a living. Even I, if it was your passion, your hobby, that you keep up with it, you still don't do it as much as I do. Uh, because you're right. We do it for a living. And, and we do it because you come into this show every day, you, you better have some understanding, <laughs> some proficiency with what's happening out there. And there's plenty to keep up with in the state when the legislature's in session, as you well know. And we discuss it here internally quite a bit. And then, of course, you got everything happening at the federal level. When I was in business, I pretty much consumed the, the business channel because the information that uh, I received there was relevant to operating a business, but also uh, lots of, of uh, sources that reported on the industry. I think anybody in that situation obviously consumes that sort of information, that sort of data to help guide them. And I mean, here's a perfect example. I have so many alerts set up, I just got an alert on my phone that what I told you earlier in this segment is wrong. What's that? That there is now a tornado watch okay, that has been applied go. to a majority of the Magnolia State. Okay, there you go. There you go. So not only do I know more than the <laughs> ignoramuses that try to argue with us, I know it quicker. <laughs> yeah, and because... So, I guess where I was going with this is that in addition to the business news that I've always consumed in the business channel, I've taken it upon myself just to, to try to provide perspective to our audience here I start about 4 o'clock in the morning, my email is loaded up with daily subscriptions, from which you can, you can sign up for, from the various news sources. And so it's the Wall Street Journal, it's Barron's, it's Forbes, it's Fortune, it's the Fiscal Times, those are, those are some. I also consume the Washington Times, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the New York Post, the L.A. Times, the Chicago Tribune, and the Boston Globe from a newspaper. And, of course, two or three local and statewide newspapers as well. And then, uh, because I have such an interest in the healthcare industry, Kaiser Family Foundation, uh, Fierce Healthcare Providers, STAT, um, VoxCare, as well. There's plenty of others. I can't even think of all of them that come through. And then a bunch of technology journals as well to try to just bring some balanced perspective and just tell folks what other people that don't think like us are thinking, honestly. I think it's valuable to understand that and not just be in an echo chamber. So I'll get off my soapbox on that. When we come back, Stuart Watley with the Palace Theater in Macomb. We're in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. 
Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live from the Element Well Studios. Joining us now, Stuart Watley from the Palace Theater in Macomb Palace. Uh, pardon me, Stuart. Welcome to Middays. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you, Jacarard. I'm very pleased to be on with you this morning. All right, tell us about the Palace Theater, quite the history. Palace Theater, yes. Built in 1938 by the Solomon family. Uh, started here in Macomb, ended up growing out to Gulf State Theaters. Uh, the Palace Theater was the first of their uh, theaters in the group right there. Had been a part of Macomb for a long time. A lot of history coming up here. Everybody that grew up in this area has Palace memories. And um, they're around 1980, I guess it was, uh, when the Twin Cinema came in. That was sort of the, the death of the Palace here in Macomb. And uh, sat for about 20 years and then kind of had a resurgence. It was a phoenix came back out of the ashes uh, through the help of a, a good, good, strong group here in Macomb. And then Gary uh, Solomon, who put together the uh, Solomon Foundation. The palace is now back in its original luster, and uh, we're looking for good things coming out of here. So share with us some of the events that you got coming up. I, I know you got something coming up for Mardi Gras next week, right? New Orleans. And um, I don't know. I think I just had a technical difficulty. We, we got you now. We had a little glitch. We can hear you now. Start over about the, the event for Mardi Gras. Yeah, we have Bo Dallas Jr. and the Wild Magnolias coming up from New Orleans. Uh, going to be one heck of a show. Mardi Gras Indians on stage here in Macomb. This is going to be a fantastic evening. We're looking forward to everybody coming out and really getting a true feel of Mardi Gras 100 miles north of the French Quarter. Wow, that's cool. Uh, all right, so some other events coming up as well you got, Stuart, at this point? We do. Uh, a big Cinco de Mayo presentation coming up. Uh, it's a tie-in between a, the uh, tortilla soup here in Macomb and ourselves. We're <laughs> looking forward to bringing everybody together. We have an outside venue that's uh, that we're breaking ground on. Going to get that out by the old railroad train cars that are up and down of our historic downtown here in Macomb. And we're just uh, doing these little things as we can to get downtown Macomb back on the map. Gotcha. So just looking at your website, uh, you also host corporate events as well. Is that correct? We do. We do. We've had uh, planning conferences in here. We've even had flower shows, uh, informative meetings. We're really just trying to provide a uh, service to Macomb and allow those to uh, come in and see what we've done with the Palace Theater down here. It's a, a really special place. And you've also got an option to donate. So you, you solicit private donations to help uh, fund operations. Is that, is that true? We, uh, the Palace Foundation is a 503C. Okay. So uh, fully tax-deductible donations are. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Interesting. 
Uh, and then private parties, like uh, would it be appropriate for, say, a, a wedding party, for example, a wedding reception? Weddings, yes, indeed. Class reunions, uh, if somebody wanted to rent it out to show a movie of their own choosing. Okay, yeah, because I'm, I'm looking at really the... Versatile. It's pretty cool. I'm looking at the, uh, the schedule of equipment and lighting available in the theater that someone could rent out. Oh. How does that work? Yes, we have a wonderful uh, sound and lighting system, of course, through the Solomon Group. Uh, that right there just kind of runs hand in hand with the palace. Everything gets started here. And through the Solomon Foundation and Gary Solomon's son, uh, who has the Solomon Group that does lighting and, and, and sound for shows all across the country. We're just really, really fortunate to have been a part of this. All right, speaking of across the country, Stuart, is, is, the, uh, is the theater receiving some, some national recognition and notoriety? Is it Because uh, it looks pretty unique to me. Well, we're trying right there. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You know, we're trying to get it out there. We have... Uh, Last year, we were lucky enough, there was a local from Macomb, uh, Lampton Enix, who had made a animated film, The Flying, the Fantastic Flying Books of Morris Lesmore, that won a Academy Award for Best Children's Animated Film. And we showed that in front of over a thousand elementary students here in Macomb. Hmm. And we were very lucky to have uh, brought that in. We had New Stage Theater down here three weeks ago doing uh, several performances uh, in front of the elementary students as well. So we're really tying, trying to tie in with the school systems as well to bring in different culture events like that down here. Yeah, makes, makes total sense. sense. So it truly is the legacy of the Solomon family uh, is what it appears. And, and it's located downtown, correct, in Macomb? Downtown, 111 Main Street, originally built in 1938, so it's always been a part of Macomb here. So I, I'm assuming that, uh, just looking at some of the old photos, it looks like it was built um, and, and kind of styled of the, uh, in accordance with the air, the old photos of more the Art Deco uh, golden age of Hollywood era is really what we had back then, big-time feature films. It was one of the primary sources of, of entertainment for our culture back then. You go to the movie theater and typically get all dressed up. It's a big deal. Go to the theater and, you know, see the big screen stars. Hey, that's it. And when, when we were redoing the theater, you know, that was uh, – one of our intentions as well, when you come in and just take a simple look at the wallpaper and, and see that deco theme that we tried to go back with when the theater was was in its heyday. Yeah, and that that you know that Art Deco theme from the Golden Age is is still widely used in in private home theaters as a um, as a theme. Right. See that a good bit all the time. It, it just brings back that, that warm feeling of, yeah. of feeling great, living good, seeing a great movie, having a good bourbon with it. <laughs> <laughs> seems to fit. I mean, the theme and the, the motif seems to kind of fit the purpose and uh, just sort of fits with right. the idea of, of uh, movie-type events like that. Makes makes a total lot of sense. 
Uh, if someone was interested in donating, Stuart, what's the best way to do that? Go into our webpage, uh, our website right there. So easy to connect with us through there. Uh, Palace Theater Macomb. There's a phone number as well. Give me a call. I'll be more than happy to put you in touch with the right people who need to, that you could get in with. And hey, any events that you see like this Mardi Gras show, hey, try to get out and support us right there. Every little bit helps. Yeah, and also on your website, you can book an event as well. There's an option for that if a, if a party is interested in, uh, in, in booking the theater for some private event. That's available as well. Yes, indeed. And I would love to have you all come down here and take a look around. We'd love to invite you to come and host one of your shows here soon. Do you feel like that we're going to see a trend here where a lot of the old theaters built around that time period or those that are still standing will be renovated and converted and, mo and modernized but still retaining that old um, warm, fuzzy look and feel? Is that sort of a trend happening in the country? I certainly see it. Uh, if you look around, theater weddings have become a, an impact event right there. Yeah. And, hey, we hope that we can be a part of this. Uh, there's so many great theaters around. Uh, right. Every right. small town seemed to have had one. Yeah, exactly. And, and if we could just go back and embrace these. Yeah. And typically, as is the Palace Theater, prominently positioned somewhere in downtown, in the downtown area, and it's, um, I don't know, I, I kind of like the nostalgia of, of going downtown to catch a show and go to the theater. I, I kind of miss that from those days. And, but I, so I, I hope we see a resurgence of that. Be kind of neat. I do, too. I do, too. Stuart, appreciate you well, coming we on Monday. Sounds great. Appreciate you coming on. Enjoy the conversation, and uh, congratulations on all the success. And, and I'm sure you will experience more success in the future with the Palace Theater. Thanks for coming on, Stuart. Thanks so much. Great having Great to be on. Middays is coming right back. Stay with us. Mississippi Days with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, it is midday Super Talk Mississippi on this Friday Eve. Dan in Hattiesburg says, I'll take a watch over a warning, though, Rhino. So it's uh, it's just tracking across the state. About to. 
Oh, yeah. Well, it, you're probably starting to see the first little bits of rain and precipitation from it, but uh, especially in the northwestern part of the state. But, yeah, it's going to be making its way across the Magnolia State all day today. Uh, someone to see on our ceasefire text line said they're already Donnie from Pike County. The Weather Service has just issued a tornado watch for our area. Already happening in Pike County. Okay. Uh, let's see. Probably lots of residency challenges are ongoing. They're talking about state elections. This has been from Madison. Going to look bad for the state if they let certain candidates qualify and others not if they have similar residency qualification issues. Probably be best for the state to clarify the residency requirements. In my opinion, five years as a resident seems a bit much. I think that only applies to certain offices, if I'm not mistaken. Who Who is under... I only Some know sort of two. contest. I, me too. Uh, Mandy, Mandy Gunsakura is uh, being challenged on residency, and uh, Shawaski Young is being challenged on residency. That's the only two I've noticed. Uh, the former Mandy running for a public service commissioner in the Northern District, Shawaski Young running for a house seat over in the Neshoba County area. He, of course, on the program not long ago, and uh, uh, talking about his possible plans, as I recall. I think that was before he had formally qualified, it seems. Maybe, maybe not. Okay, I'm confused about the timing. He was actually right afterwards. Okay. So many, I lose track. Uh, but he, of course, was also in the race for the 3rd Congressional District of Mississippi as a Democrat. He was the challenger to uh, Congressman Michael Guest, who was the a Republican candidate in that particular race. That public service commissioner race has got three Republicans. This, of course, the seat that former or present commissioner, I should say, Brandon Presley, about to be former because he has announced his candidacy for governor of the great state of Mississippi. So that means the seat would be open come this fall, this November, when we go to the ballots and cast our votes for the candidates. We got multiple candidates for that particular seat. As I recall, uh, Rhino, Mandy, of course, on the Republican side, who's filled in here on the program a few times. Is, uh, and also, I think, f- f- uh, Representative Chris Brown, almost said former, because he would be former since he is announced for this particular office. He's qualified for that office. And then the name of the individual escapes me. I apologize for that. I believe that presently works for Mayor Jordan, Todd Jordan of Tupelo, your hometown, right? An individual on staff there also has qualified for PSC of the Northern District. There may be some others. I don't have it in front of me at this point, but those three come to mind. Not unusual when you have an open seat like that that you would have a, a somewhat of a large field for such an office at this point. I'm not sure who's running on the Democrat side for that particular office. but And then the – so those are the only two I know of. Uh, ben, Chad McMahon filed a challenge against his primary opponent. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. So Senator Chad McMahon, also from the Lee County 
area. He has a so I don't know that he has uh, someone who has said they're uh, concerned about. He, he said he's concerned about the residency of a challenger. Okay. And then, uh, but of course, it's a primary, so that's the sort of stuff that's got to be sorted out by the party apparatus. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So we'll see where all that goes. I just got an update on the weather as well. Rhino, you probably have. Oh, yeah, I just got a ding where there's a line that is running pretty much parallel to I-55, about between Terry and Hazelhurst, all the way down to just south of Brookhaven. Looks like, actually, Brookhaven may be in a little eye of inactivity, but there's a wall of purple Yeah, see right to the west of Brookhaven, and the uh, meteorologist on social media are paying close attention to a little spot on that. So, yeah, if you're in the Brookhaven area... Stay weather aware. Yeah, and I see now why the uh, it's Donnie from Pike County that informed us they're under a tornado watch. I believe I, I see why because the majority of Pike County is currently orange on my radar, and it looks like this these storms are moving from the southwest to the northeast, and so as they track eastward through the state, but. That's kind of the, and that's not unusual for this time of year, based on the the direction of the wind flows in the upper atmosphere. So we'll keep an eye on that. You also see that long squall line that's draped across uh, Arkansas, about to hit the river Green, at Greenville and Hollandale. You see that? As oh well? yeah, that one. That's weird. That collection of storms had probably the most dramatic video associated with it this morning that I was looking at in the. Eads area of Memphis, mm-hmm. lightning struck a tree, and the lightning went through the tree into the ground and ignited a gas line under the tree. So it's a video that looks almost biblical because there's a tree on fire at the base. Jeez, that's weird. Oh, yeah, I'll retweet it if you want to check it out. I'm on Twitter at Rhino Rants. Hmm. Okay, I got a little woke news to pass on to you today. No shortage of that these days. Virtually every 24-hour period (laughs) reveals yet another hold-my-beer incident. This is certainly one. Woke scientists are calling for the terms male and female to be replaced as part of their efforts to crack down on, quote, harmful terminology. In science. (laughs) Instead, (laughs) I hope I can get through this one. I apologize, folks. Instead, they want to use the terms sperm producing and egg producing or XYXX. Hold up. (laughs) I thought conversations about chromosomes was transphobic. (laughs) You can't keep up with it anymore. It's almost like it's a house of cards. Just waiting for a stiff breeze of reality and well, sanity to come by. They, they say these recommended replacement terms, they, they are necessary to avoid reinforcing societally imposed ideas of sex binary. I don't even know what that means. They're also, they're also out 
to expunge the terms mother, father, and fitness. <laughs> and they've got a whole list of harmful terms in the recommended replacements. I'll give you a couple of examples. Blind, double-blind, plant blindness. I've never even heard. What does that mean? Plant blindness. That, that's it in the same category there with blind and double blind. The context is that they are disability metaphors. Replacement should be awareness? What does that mean? I, I don't even get what they're saying there. The harmful terms of feminized, masculinized, those <laughs> describe the specific traits. What are they saying here? Feminized implies that feminine and masculine are biological traits rather than social constructs. <laughs> I'm still stuck on plant blindness. <laughs> what do you see? This about is a whole that? rabbit hole of weird <laughs> related terms. Plant neglect, zoo centrism, <laughs> zoo chauvinism. Because but the definition of plant blindness is an informally proposed form of cognitive bias, which in its broadest meaning is a human tendency to ignore plant species. <laughs> Basically, if you're walking down the street and you don't realize there's trees, you're plant blind. Okay, gotcha. I don't know how that offends anybody, but okay. Oh my gosh. I guess if you're a botanist, you're really ticked off when people are plant blind. <laughs> I guess so. You plant blind person, you... Oh, my gosh. So, man, woman, the context is that they are, I think I can pronounce this, Rhino, highly anthropomorphic. 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 Yeah, I've never heard of that before. Having human traits or characteristics. Okay. Biases toward Like a talking dog in a cartoon and is an anthropomorphized dog. Okay. (laughs) Uh... Another harmful term is survival of the fittest. <laughs> the context there is that oh, it's you mean suggest- the basis for evolution that they also like to preach? <laughs> they suggest that implies eugenics, ableism, and social Darwinism. It's because nature is metal. <laughs> oh, gosh. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. The mammoth's got a brand new bag. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. It's just crazy. Who gets up and thinks about stuff like that? What, what words can we get rid of today? Miserable sad sacks. I truly do believe that. How is that benefiting society? It doesn't even benefit them, let alone society. <laughs> I think you're right. Just makes them more and more miserable because it reinforces their weird notion that the world is out to get them. Sure seems like it. 
when in reality the world doesn't even know you exist. I, I agree. The CBO, by the way, shifting gears a bit here to money, something you got to worry about, like it or not. The CBO came out yesterday with a report projecting essentially the federal government's finances over the next decade through 2033. I know you guys may find this shocking. He really didn't align with what Joe Biden said <laughs> in his State of the Union address. And once again yesterday, he was touting his economic accomplishments. He was in Maryland. And, and once again, he, he just dishonest virtually everything he said. But the CBO has issued a report that said... President Biden and the Democrats the last couple of years have added $3.1 trillion to the federal deficit over the next decade. Now, that conflicts with, with uh, now we're talking about deficit, not debt here, folks. So that conflicts with what he said in the Inflation Reduction Act, which came out and said, oh, yeah, that's going to cut the deficit. Because we're going to collect all this money through these 87,000 IRS agents, the shakedown that they will perform, will bring in more revenue, and we're going to make those corporations pay a minimum tax, and then we're going to essentially institute price controls on drugs for Medicare. And, of course, they go out and score that with the limited information they're allowed to use to score and it paints this rosy yet disingenuous picture of the impact of those policies. But the CBO, which is supposed to be bipartisan, and I think it largely is, and they do this every year, and they will project the government's fin- financial condition over the next 10. That <laughs> So, you ready for this? They said that the expected deficits over the next decade, those are annual amounts calculated as, as very simply the difference between the amount the government takes in and the amount it spends. If the amount it spends exceeds the amount it takes in, that's a deficit. The opposite is a surplus. Hadn't had that in a while. 90s, I think. Internet build out. Dot com boom. What they're saying is that we're going to add $19 trillion to the debt over the next 10 years. We're, we're currently sitting at $31 trillion. I mean, why not? you got to get it up to a nice round 50. 50. That's where we're headed. That is where Everybody we're headed. Everybody likes nice big round numbers. Unbelievable. $19 trillion bucks is what they're saying is going to be added. Now, again, you can't just say that this is uh, some Republican propaganda. This didn't come from Fox News, by the way. $20 trillion. A lot of this, of course, driven not only by deficits, but borrowing. Nobody wants to hear this. 
to pay for Medicare and Social Security because they are collapsing under their own weight, not taking in enough money through payroll contributions to fund the benefits going out. Contrary to, I think, what a lot of folks believe, there's not this account the government has up there in the Social Security and Medicare ledgers that has has your name attached to it. Yeah, they have a record of how much you paid into it, but it's not like sitting in a bank waiting for you to retire like a traditional defined contribution plan such as a 401k is. Whatever you see in that plan, that's what you got coming out. Social Security and Medicare don't work that way. It's just one big giant slush fund. But this is a uh, this is rather disturbing news from the from the CBO that we're looking at massive deficits over the next 10 years with no end in sight and adding 19 trillion to the debt. Wrap your head around that one. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios with Pat Wilson and Cheryl Burrow from the Mississippi Industries for the Blind. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in the Element Well Studios. Joining us now, Pat Wilson, Executive Director of the Mississippi Industries for the Blind, and Cheryl Burrow, Account Manager with the Mississippi Industries for the Blind. Welcome, ladies. Thanks for coming on Middays. Thank you for inviting us. You bet. Yes, thank you. So give us a bit of an overview. Exactly what is the Mississippi Industries for the Blind? What do you do? Uh, Mississippi Industries for the Blind began in 1942. We are uh, located behind the stadium on West Street in Jackson. And our mission statement, why we are there, is because we provide training and employment for individuals who are blind or visually impaired. We want to facilitate their independence and self-reliance in every aspect of their life. And um, like I said, we've been there since 1942. At that time, um, we had about 300 employees in Jackson. We also have a Meridian facility. Um, We became a state agency in 1972. A lot of people get us confused with the School for the Blind, uh, but we are a manufacturer. We are an industry in Jackson um, and employ people who are visually impaired. What what uh, do they produce? I know you you make stuff. I I remember going uh, to the location when I was a kid and buying buying various household items and and so forth. Oh yes, we we manufacture cleaning supplies like sponges and mops. Uh, we do a lot of sewing. We have uh, contracts with the uh, DLA troop support. We make barracks bags. We've been doing that since 1956. We've made millions of those and uh, bandolier ammunition pouches. That's a very detailed product that we sew. It holds six M16 magazines when Hmm. the troops are out there. 
uh, the barracks bag. Uh, and, you brought and one does, to us. I, I see did it right here. Huh? To us. Yeah. And it just shows you that there's like 40 different little pieces that have to go on there. And the sewing machines are, are you know, um, blind and visually impaired. It's uh, uh, made so that they can operate them. We also make uh, individual equipment belts for the military, uh, fire shovels, make that Meridian, McLeod tools. Uh, for the Postal Service, we make uh, showing straps and tow bars, booster cables. Uh, we just we make a lot. Hmm. And we also uh, are we have a call center um, and we have a document imaging department, which uh, that's everybody has room and, and, and years of, of documents there that they have stored hmm. that they need out of their way. And uh, that con- uh, is a conversion of paper files to digital. And so, and we also sell office supplies. Hmm. Interesting. I think in my prior career, we may have used your services in um, in digitizing mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. content for our, our customers. We used to sell document imaging systems back in those uh, days. Yeah. And so collecting all the, the, uh, the paper... Uh, data is a big task. Mm-hmm. It's uh, and 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 that's what we're we're growing into more and more of that because people are tired of having so much paper accumulation. And with technology now, you can it can be digital, and um, uh, you know you can search by name or, or whatever. And we do all that. We can take care of all of that. Yeah, yeah. So the documents come through, and you index them with uh, according to what the customer needs. However there. you want. Right. So when they're digitizing, they can search using right. those yeah. and, and we do. We've started doing a lot of the other state agencies, uh, and they've come to us to, uh, reaching out for, for help with that. And, um, you know, as a state agency, uh, we're supposed to work together. And I don't know, I don't know if this is um, uh, how it's stated in there, but really the state agencies are supposed to come to us and um, – and make sure that our prices are competitive, which they are. Our work is good, and um, you know, just top-notch service. So, yeah. And um, so that's what we're working with now is, is st- other state agencies. But we do it. You know, we can um, also uh, have commercial as well. Okay. So these household products that, that are made uh, at the MIB are those sold through retail stores or directly from MIB? That is well. We have a uh, we sell it to different um, departments with the um, uh, base supply stores and such with the military. The sponges uh, we sell it. Um, you know, you can buy them off the off of our website. We have all of our products listed on there. And um, um, but yeah, as far as stores, I don't think they're in the actual stores. We've Cheryl had, can we, ask we've had them that. in um, some grocery stores out okay. west. Um, We've also got them in commissaries all over the world um, that are sold to military families. And the base supply centers that buy them and stock them are for each different unit that comes in to buy supplies for their unit or Mm -hmm. their barracks, and they will come in and purchase them. How many workers do you have? We have about 100 at the Jackson facility and about 10 or 12 at Meridian. Um, And... uh, I'm glad you brought up the the employees because they're the main reason that uh, I'm here. Sure. Uh, is, you know, uh, we are a state agency. We our employees are all state employees. We get the state. Uh, we can participate in the vacation, holidays, insurance, PERS, retirement. That's a big, mm-hmm. a big deal. And um, but MIB makes we make our own way. We don't get any regular appropriations from the state um, and uh, so we every year we just you know uh, make our own way each year pay our own way 
and um, like I said, we've been there since 1940. I think some of the and some of the machinery is, you know, been there since the 50s. We've just put Band-Aids on it or we've got some really good repair folks. And um, but but they're getting very old. And uh, those machinery, especially uh, having them um, formatted so that our visually impaired people can operate them. Uh, that's what, you know, it's really tough after COVID because freight went so high, materials and, and shortages and such. So it, we're just kind of in a bind right now. We, we've got to replace some of these um, uh, sewing machines and some of these. Um, uh, we have a robotic arm in uh, Meridian that's that's um, really in, in need of, of replacement that does the welding that the visually impaired can uh, work with. So. You know, you look out there and the employees, they're, they come to work every day. You know, they get their families off to school, um, catch public transportation, JTRAN, whatever. And um, they sit, come to work. They're on time. They work. They sew. They make all these things. And their qual- the quality is is just top-notch. It, you know, we are uh, our uh, USD. The, the, um, they come in and uh, uh, look at all of our products and inspect and we pass, you know, we, we just do really good, good work. And so they, you know, seeing them work that hard with what all they have to go through, I, I, they just inspire me to to work and to work for them and get, you know, we just need some more, some new machinery. And like I said, we've been here over 80 years and we want to go another 80. Okay, so you, you don't receive appropriations from the state government. No. It's self-sustaining because you, you yeah. sell the products that mm-hmm. you make and that, that funds the operations Correct. expenses. Mm-hmm. But you do accept donations, I assume. Is that, is that, are you looking um, for that to help replace some of this equipment? Well, we have reached out to several. We've reached out to the legislature this year and we're, we're very optimistic. Uh, they're, they're, uh, we have uh, a Mississippi Industries Foundation, which people can donate to if they wish, and um, uh, just other places that we're trying to raise some funds. Okay, got you. How do the employees find out about you? Where do you, where do you get them from? Um, well, the pretty much like like now, a lot of uh, getting out and um, spreading the word. Uh, a lot of the employees, uh, some of their family members spread the word at church or, you know, just it's um, and and some of the, the reasons that they um, are with us. It may be an inherited condition. It could be, uh, you know, different things as that. And so word gets out that way. But, um, you know, we want it to be known that we are looking for uh, uh, sighted and visually impaired and blind we we want to help we you know it gives you a job uh and and you you work just you know your work is just as valuable as a sighted person sure and and some people say and some people that are there you know it could be they could be uh, attorneys they could be truck drivers in the you know in the past or chemical engineers and uh they're very they're just as valuable as any sighted person and and uh, we want to that's what uh, that's why we are there, is to help them. And people tell me, I don't want to sit at home. I want to get out and work and make my own money. And so people can't, they won't tell me how I can spend it. Yeah. And they're, they have friends there. And they're safe there as far as knowing their way around and such. And, you know, it's just a good place to be. And I would just hate for it not to continue for another 80 years. It's just too much history there. 
done a lot of good work through the years. Helped I, a lot I think of people. So too. Yeah, and helped society as well. So yeah, can we, I say uh, one more thing? Yeah, sure. Okay. This is our U.S. military barracks bag we've been making since 1956. We were nominated for it being one of the coolest things made in Mississippi. <laughs> and we would love everyone to go on msmakerschallenge.com and vote for our U.S. military That's fantastic. bag. Fantastic. And our little fantastic. tags in the back. You got you. Yeah. Appreciate it, ladies. Thanks for coming on. Tell us about the Mississippi Industries for the Blind. We'll step aside for a break right here. Coming back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Thank you so much. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? what? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. us into this segment here on Middays. Appreciate the ladies from the Mississippi Industries for the Blind coming on the program. Very informative, and I do remember it uh, as a kid. We would go down there and, and shop for some of these various household items, and it's true, they were the best around, high, very high quality, and you're helping folks out as well that uh, are, are out there earning a living, you know, despite... Uh, their their disability, which is just awesome. That's the way it should be. And self-sustaining, which even makes it better, in my view. So, you know, I caught yesterday, Rhino, an, an interview. It was on Cudlow. This individual's name is Ye Own Me, Y-E-O-N-M-I Park, from North Korea. She is a defector from North Korea. Her activist family fled the communist nation to China in 2007 and settled in South Korea in 29 and then moved to this country in 2014. She's 29 and honestly spoke with the wisdom and with the deafness of a person much more senior in her interview yesterday. She's written a couple of books. In Order to Live, a North Korean's, a Korean Girl's Journey to Freedom. That was published in 2015. She runs the YouTube channel Voice of North Korea, a personal social media vlog covering North Korean news, politics, etc. And then her second book was published less than a year ago. And it is entitled, and this is what's important about Miss Park, While Time Remains, A North Korean Defector's Search for Freedom in America. And her discussion with Larry Kudlow yesterday focused on that. And it was her honest 
observation of the craziness going on in this country and what made me think about it, Rhino, was just reading these scientist recommendations of words we got to get rid of. And, and that's kind of craps happening everywhere. And I don't think we talk enough about it. I, not here on the show. I know we do a lot because I think it's important. And I hope folks listening do, watching. I don't think it gets enough attention. And that's the way this sort of stuff works, is it not? It's, it's pernicious. In, in by nature, it just kind of keeps on invading gradually, phased in, and you wake up and you say, "Wait, we look like North Korea," and that was what her book's about. Her observations of this sort of force we have everywhere—you got you're forced to quit using those words. As an example, you're forcing. All this gender ideology and racial indoctrination as young as pre-kindergarten. And then, of course, it just takes hold from there. And in our corporations, in our football games, every aspect of our culture, and it kind of starts with the most fundamental aspect, most arguably the most important of our rights and freedoms, and that's speech. There's a reason why that topped the list. And while I'm not nearly as steeped in the historical drivers of all that, I do believe that was pretty important to the framers and to the drafters of the Bill of Rights, having been, having come from an environment where a monarchy pretty much dictated what you could and couldn't say. And gosh, it just seems like we're looking more like that every day. And I know folks are out there saying this is hyperbole, and I don't think it is. I really don't. It's, it's concerning. It should be concerning to all of us. But let's think about it. When an immigrant from North Korea, maybe the most oppressive communist nation, you could argue, on the planet, more strict, more oppressive. I mean, a perfect example of that is if you uh, have the misfortune of having the same name as Kim Jong-un's daughter, you got to change it. There you because go. Because she's going to be the next premier, and she's the only one that can have her name. And she's like 10. Right. That's That was like announced in the last couple of days, right? Uh, I don't think it's been officially announced by the regime, but her making the rounds and making public appearances does line up a lot with what Kim Jong-il did with Kim Jong-un. Yeah. I think China gets more of our attention as a communist nation because it's obviously much larger and per- perhaps poses a bigger threat. And, of course, they're flying balloons with impunity across our country. And we got a president who's yet to address it. Not anything formally in front of the public. Like, yeah, we know this is a problem. Here's what we're doing. We haven't seen that yet. He chooses instead to go to Maryland in front of a, fin- a friendly audience. By the way, the recently elected governor of Maryland, you see this? He's a black male. 
He called him boy yesterday. Now, how does he get away with that? Their mom. Where's the race lady, Joy Reid? He's got that magical D by his name that protects ah, him from all criticism I from see. mainstream media. And look, as far as I'm concerned, it was innocuous, though. I know in our culture, that's a big deal. And he said, yeah, he's a, he's a big strapping boy or something about that effect. Because he was an athlete and still looks very athletic. He's young. Handsome individual. I probably don't agree squat with him politically. But from a physical presence perspective, he is. So Biden says that, but how does he get away with that? Is that, oh, is that two-tier double standard in our society? Say it ain't so. Because he happens to be affiliated with the right party, is what you're saying. And I think you're right. But when a North Korean defector has to admonish and scold what should be the most free nation on planet Earth, that makes me stand up and listen. And listening to her interview yesterday, which was incredible, I got just concerned, more concerned, like, wow, someone from North Korea says we're starting to look like them, a lot like them. Hello? Maybe we ought to wake up, take heed to Miss Park's analysis. Makes sense to me. I got to go get the book now. I got to read the book. A defector search for freedom in America. And of course, she just coming out of, at her age, not too far removed from attending college, Columbia University, which is one of the most woke institutions, if there is such a thing. Well, I saw something the other day from Dartmouth. It's just unbelievable the amount of time and effort that they are investing in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, it it is absolutely seeped into every facet of university life. At Dartmouth, which is known as being a pretty good place academically, at least at one time, and I can't recall all the details of the account that I read, but it was like, you got to be kidding me. When do they ever like go to class and learn stuff? you got so many cycles. I do think, however, we should stand up and be somewhat attentive to what Ms. Park has to say. And uh, that's really bothersome. Meantime... Joe Biden, he goes to Maryland, calls the governor a strapping boy or, I don't know, something to that effect. I'm plagiarizing it a bit. I know the word boy was in there because I read the report and a couple of folks on Twitter did call him out on it. But in the meantime, he tells the country that the Republicans' plan, of course, is going to end Social Security and Medicare And he talks about their economic agenda is going to blow up the deficit and the debt. Not paying attention to a report from the CBO the very same day, at the same time he was speaking, that says, yeah, based on the trajectory we are incurring under the Biden policy agenda, we're going to have a deficit next year 
of $2 trillion. Remember, he's been bar- uh, bragging about how he brought it down? I cut it. Now they're saying it's $1.4 trillion this year, $2 trillion next year. What happened, Joe? Unbelievable. Podcasts. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. I want a shot of redemption Don't want to end up a cartoon In a cartoon graveyard Bone digger, bone digger Dogs in the moonlight Far away Yeah, Dartmouth College, they hosted an event short couple of weeks ago, January 31st, to launch a three-year institutional program called, quote, Towards Equity, Aligning Action and Accountability Dedicated to Promoting Diversity, Equity, Inclusion and Belonging Wow, we've got a new word. <laughs> a document sent to all attendees outlines the DEI initiatives Dartmouth is planning for the coming years, including uh, an Institute for Black Intellectual and Cultural Life following the national racial unrest in 2020, according to the document. They're not even being inclusive by their own guidelines. It should be DEIB. Where's the belonging? <laughs> They aim to increase the number of faculty of color, provide more resources for underrepresented minorities in STEM, and implement DEI training for all leaders on campus. Wait, I thought math was racist. Why do we want more people of color in underrepresented communities in science, technology, engineering, and math? The weight of systemic forms of oppression are heavy, Shantae Delalue who led the development of the three-year initiative, told the group at the event, the weight is heavy. Delalue says equity means leveling the playing field and giving people what they need as opposed to giving everybody the same thing. You see see how that works? So, the end of merit. That, That, in effect is socialism, equalizing everything, equal distribution of resources so that everybody achieves the same outcome. Oh, you need help? Okay, here it is. Forget about the person who maybe worked harder to achieve that outcome, applied themselves, took more risk, sacrifice. That doesn't matter anymore. Because if you don't, Well, we'll just equalize it for you. Equity is making sure that in policies and practices, people who have not been given access in the past are now getting access. So it's leveling the playing field, not just making sure everybody has the exact same thing. Can't do that. That would be equal opportunity. Banish that thought, right? Mm, mm -mm. Oh, look. Let's all just agree that the business case has been made for DEIB. She did include <laughs> belonging. She Anybody said, want to take bets on what the next letter is going to be? <laughs> she said the benefits of DEIB have been proven by countless research. Unbelievable. 
She says she's a black woman, and every day she's faced with the persistent nature of racism and sexism. Sounds like she needs new friends. <laughs> Women are paid 83 cents to every dollar paid to men. Women retire with 30% less income than men on average. Those are 2020-21 statistics. What they never mention and they never discuss as an additional notable, relevant information to those statistics is, is that solely because of the gender and the race of the individual, or is there something else at play here? I mean, that, in, that implies that folks working the same jobs are being paid differently based on their race, based on their gender. I'm still looking for examples of that. They just assume it's reality. They don't have any actual proof. Well, because these statistics come out, and maybe at, at first glance you say, oh, yeah, well, they're just discriminating in their payment and their retirement plan, their payment practices, their compensation practices. But that you can't assume that. You don't know all the details here. Maybe something else was going on. And the more you dig, the more you realize it's nowhere close to that much of a gap, if there is a gap at all. That is absolutely true. Because they, they, they tend to distort and manipulate these statistics to produce them in a certain way that drives their narratives here. This is, this is disturbing to me because what this means is that they're, they're going to intentionally, deliberately discriminate. They're going to apply... Based on faulty statistics. Yeah. Preferential treatment is going to be granted solely based on one's physical attributes, which is, by definition, discrimination. But that's what they're going to do. Without even a second glance at the societal impact on this or the societal pressures put on women and men. I totally agree. And we're seeing it across the Stereotypically, spectrum. women want more flexible hours and less hazardous work. Usually are in the workforce for fewer years, which would also impact their retirement. But this notion that this suggests that employers are hiring men and women or people across the racial spectrum, and they're compensating them differently, and they have different retirement plans... That's just false. That's just totally false. Not true. Not true. And I know we've talked about it on the program, but a few miles from here, actually we're sitting in the city of Jackson where we are, but a few miles from here, the city hall, go down there and watch them conduct a city council meeting when they award contracts. See how that works when they're talking about the minority participation in the proposals from the prospective vendors, the participants in those requests for proposals or bids, whatever the structure is of the procurement. And they will absolutely give preferential treatment to the very people that this lady's saying are, are being discriminated against. They absolutely will. And we'll even pay a higher price for it. It happens across this country. Across this country. Federal level, too. By the way, Joe Biden, you remember his first day he issued that 
series of at least one executive order to address diversity, equity, and inclusion, and and uh, racism at the federal level, and that was going to be a, a, a core theme of all policy making across the agency complex in the federal government. He introduced yet another one yesterday, another executive order pertaining to this, and uh, it's it's another situation where he, he's seeking to uh, just ensure that the federal government, again, honestly, is giving preferential treatment to minorities, to the underrepresented community. Signed another executive order on that. What's mind-boggling to me is that we got balloons, we can't figure out what the heck they are going across the country. We got this train derailment that's causing big problems for the people there. We got rampant crime across the country. You've probably seen the report now. O'Hare, the nation's fourth busiest airport, the gateway to the windy city of Chicago, often thought to be the most modern airport in the world. I believe second busiest only to Hartsfield and Atlanta. Now is overrun with homeless people that are bunking out in the baggage claim and all the other open public areas of the airport. You seen this? Oh, yeah. And there's video of it. Like, I can't comprehend the number of times I've been to O'Hare and, and taking that walk from the terminal, departing the aircraft, going to the baggage claim area. I can't comprehend having to step over a bunch of homeless people to get my bag. And yet the mayor goes out and parties. And that's okay. Where's the president? Where's that? While he's sitting back issuing executive orders to strengthen racial equity and support for underserved communities across the federal government. And I actually took the time and read the order. And all it is is it's instructing the agencies, you will give preferential treatment in allocation of federally taxpayer-funded resources to these groups. So what we've done is we've, we've divided the country into two classes. The producer class, the recipient class. That's what we have. And so he is, once again, just confirming that and being proactive in implementing policies that, again, grant preferential treatment to certain people, yet we're told that it's unfair. And there's all Democrats these... are just regressing to become, well, they all, they've always been the party of discrimination. What are we talking about? That's absolutely true. We're stepping aside for a break right here on Middays. We're coming right back with a lot more talk. i got to tell you about Florida State. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Mm-hmm. 
On the ceasefire text line, unfortunately, they're becoming what the Republicans are. What does that mean? What am I missing there? You understand? No, it seems like a senseless comment. Hmm. The thunder and lightning is picking up in Monticello, says Mose on the ceasefire text line. Carol in Starkville, America under attack by its own government. When you know you're in Jackson, oh, that's, that's brutal. It's a photo Randy and Starkville sent of a grocery shopping cart without wheels on it, and it's elevated by bricks underneath the four corners of the cart. Could it be that men as a whole goose higher-paying careers? I think they meant choose. Choose, yeah. Oh, exactly. Of course. Sure. I mean, if we want some equity, let's get some equity in the crab fields of northern Alaska, where in the crab fishing business, it's 10% women. We need more equity. That's that's six-figure jobs. Let's get some more women out on the crab boat. Or what about the oil rigs? That's good-paying jobs. It's a great point. And, and until, again, you drill down into these statistics and understand the, the cause of the disparity, which, when you look at it at, at face value, at the highest level, sure, you just say, oh, well, there's a disparity going on there that's got to be rooted in, in, in uh, racism and homophobia and all the other isms, all the other... I forgot misogyny. Misogyny, of course, which would apply to the, the uh, being anti-woman, anti-female. And, of right? course, the xenophobia. Uh, which means you um, have some aversion to folks not from your, your country, right, in general. That's what they called Trump when he blocked entry of Chinese nationals into the country during COVID. I never forget that. I mean, I give him this. You know, I don't. Uh, I call out Trump when I disagree with him, but I obviously uh, and always try to report and praise him when I do. But I remember that question. Why do you call it the China virus? Because it came from China. Remember that? Yep. Duh. And then we then we started. I think on the program you started mentioning all the other various flus and diseases that. I mean, the previous pandemic in history. The Spanish flu. There you go. Because it's where it came from. So th- this dividing everything in accordance with with race and gender and all these other physical characteristics is, is just really unproductive and in fact I think just foments division is what it does. And you know, the same people that want to attribute every shooting, which is way too many in this country, there's no doubt about that, just recently had one at Michigan State, every single one of them is abhorrent, but attribute it to the Second Amendment and the right to own firearms in this country, never really think about their rhetoric and how that perhaps engenders and provokes this sort of behavior. Because everything about that agenda, in my view, is divisive. So I'm looking at Florida State. So it's no secret that governor, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, has been, has been somewhat active 
very vocal in his opposition for all of this left-wing indoctrination in Florida schools and universities, was, of course, chastised for the don't-say-gay law, which was not a don't-say-gay law. Just basically said, hey, look, kindergartners through whatever it was, fifth, sixth grade, let's just not talk about explicit sexual material and gender identity and things like that. And, of course, detractors, opponents of that, rebelled on on the basis of um, it being misogynist and whatever the heck, trans, transgender, what is it when you're opposed to transgender people? I can't even remember all Transphobic. Transphobic. It's, Which is a misnomer because phobia is a fear. Ah, uh, yeah. People aren't fearful of trans people. They just, that some people disagree with their lifestyle. But I, I don't know a whole lot of people, I'm not saying there aren't some that would treat them any differently in, in a situation where it matters. Well, Florida State has installed just a series of DEI programs. They're going to have to add the B for belonging in there that really just, once again, divides us up into these groups. This is what bothered me. It, it um, really takes target at Christians for their quote, Christian privilege. And there's also racially segregated scholarship programs that deliberately bar white students from applying. Is that not discrimination? Brazen discrimination? 23 different programs at Florida State. Coming right back. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Wealth Studios on this Friday Eve. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. So the Spanish flu did not get its name because it was originated. The virus was uh, originally detected in Spain. It uh, it got that name, so I misspoke, and I apologize for that, but was pretty fired up at the time. We do, however, know that COVID came from China. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, but, so, it, it evidently it got that name because Spain was neutral in World War One, somewhat, and was reporting quite a bit on the spread which was at that time of the flu, really across the globe. And uh, the Spanish felt like it came from French, and they were calling it the French flu. But because Spain was, and their media was reporting on it, 
whatever that looked like at the time and during the era, it, it sort of just took on the name Spanish flu because that's where all the news was coming out about it. Interesting. So, just wanted to, to uh, clarify that. Someone on our ceasefire text line was uh, quick to point that out. We appreciate that. Spanish flu did not originate in Spain or with the Spanish. So, I, I think this is a person that generally disagrees with our positions here, Rhino. Just look at in the past. I don't know. I have to look, look back through the, the text there. Kind of what it looks like. That's fine. There was something else. Oh, yeah. 85% of all statistics are made up on demand <laughs> on the ceasefire text line. Someone else uh, didn't take too kindly to our discussion here. <clears throat> Said, sounds like two old women talking about scratching their testicles when I hear two rednecks talk about black people's issues. I didn't realize you were a redneck, Gerard. <laughs> I've been deemed such today, so have you, my friend. <laughs> Seems we have another ignoramus on the text line. <laughs> Our cup runneth over some days, does it not? I wonder if that person even knows the definition of ignoramus. <laughs> well, you know, I don't really consider the discussion about all these DEI efforts and all this money spent I don't consider that discussing black people's issues. If, if there are examples of true, bona fide, genuine discrimination, I, I certainly condemn those. And if you've got some, and you can provide some empirical evidence of it, and I know it happens, I'm not saying it doesn't, but my gosh, when it consumes and it dominates all the discourse, all the debate. The demand for all the isms far exceeds the supply. It's a good point. And, and it, it's unfortunately... And the demand is usually only coming from the left, from liberals, from Democrats, and from idiots. It's, it's become an industry. And I don't know why folks don't see that it's a shakedown scam hoax industry. It just is. And it, I don't see it achieving anything. I don't see it accomplishing anything. I guess you feel good about it for a while because you forced something. But usually when that happens, it's at someone else's expense. And we're starting to see this play out more and more across this country. And certainly on all sorts of, all sorts of competition, all sorts of of uh, situations where performance and merit should be the primary consideration for any sort of outcomes, awards, what just happened in Virginia a few weeks ago where they withheld national merit awards in order to achieve equity, so they denied such opportunities for scholarships and even admission to kids and their families who worked and earned it? We, that, that's not, it doesn't even matter anymore in our society. Earn it? What's that mean? No, we don't earn things. We just tell you what you get. We just, we just, it, we're just benevolent here to make sure that everybody's the same. We're just widgets on a shelf that are molded into 
indiscernible little blobs that are adherent to their worldview and obedient to their instruction. So, in addition to the crazy DEI stuff happening at Florida State, there's another school in Florida. It's called New College. And they're upset at Governor DeSantis, what they call disruption of the school. And they're concerned, there's some folks who are, who are concerned about some changes coming down the pike as a result of some policies implemented and orders issued by Governor DeSantis. A group which has come forward with a grievance, you're going to love this one, Rhino. It's the pagan alumni of Florida's new school. <laughs> the, the, oh my Get your God. goat pants ready. <laughs> it's time for a bonfire. <laughs> oh, gosh. They, they said, <laughs> alumni see Aaron... And Wiccan priestess and educator Raina Templeby <laughs> recall that in the late 1980s, New College had many more pagans than the University of Miami, Miami in Florida. Templeby claimed New College consistently ranks as one of the best liberal arts colleges on all sorts of metrics and noted she once told a professor the reason she even went to college was to be a better witch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, folks. It just cracks me up because they're so serious about it. Yeah, I'm going there to be a better witch. And we're supposed to take that seriously. Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, Templeby, the aforementioned Templeby, says... I don't think what DeSantis and his cronies are doing will succeed ultimately because I don't think people in Florida or the rest of the U.S. are willing to live under a fascist who mocks differently abled people and wants to ban discussion of structural racism. Oh, gosh. It's just inc incredible. So the, the standard for being deemed racist misogynist, homophobic, xenophobic, transphobic. There's so many of them, we don't have time to list them all. And I guess now redneck. It's not very high, is it? Not very difficult uh, to achieve such standing to those who like to label everybody. It truly is group identity. And that, again, that's one of the things that Ms. Park, whom I was speaking of earlier, Ye, Ye Own Me Park, her name, 28 years old, immigrated with her family from North Korea, somehow escaped North Korea. Because you don't just walk off. You don't just cross the border say, I'm out of here, I can't take this anymore. Pretty sure you get killed when you try that. She ends up in this country, and she's saying, hey, look, I came here for freedom. Well, I'm seeing the same stuff here. That I left. My family left. And I think this is an example of it. This kind of craziness that's absolutely going on is disturbing. Back to your money. 
So Biden is really ramping up the pressure. And you know, we said it here, you're going to see Social Security and Medicare. This is going to be front and center of every campaign event, every speech. They see that as a path to victory, is to hang on Republicans this false notion that they want to end those programs. And he was speaking, of course, yesterday. By the way, this was at an an International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers local union. No surprise there. That's where he was speaking, in Lanham, Maryland. Of course, they've fallen all over him. They love him. And he's telling them just how great his economic policies are and how rosy is the outlook and that Republicans are going to bloat the deficit and but more and debt, but more importantly, they're gonna end Social Security and Medicare. And he's hanging his hat on that and he ain't gonna let up. We're taking a break right here on middays. Please stay with us. We're coming right back. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, onto the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, you get closer. The lights are going dim. The sound of your breathing. We are back, midday, Super Talk, Mississippi. David and Pascagoula says, Gerard, I'm sorry, but you do not look like a redneck with the laughing emojis. Oh, gosh. I believe you made up the 85% on the ceasefire text line. Whatever happened to the very liberal Kevin that used to text in a lot? That was Kevin from Baldwin. He he got uh, a little incensed one day and said, I'm out of here, didn't he? As I recall. That's been a while. Yeah, he got upset that we weren't reading his text verbatim, and then when I started reading him verbatim, he got even more upset. <laughs> Paul and Brandon sent us a notification. I saw that as well, Paul. U.S. F-35 jets intercept four Russian fighter aircraft near Alaska. Just occurred. In fact, that's the second time that's occurred in as many uh, days, which is a concern, no doubt. It's almost like having a bumbling buffoon in the White House has uh, <laughs> made our enemies bolder. Barton Columbus says, heterophobia is real. Yeah, it seems like it. Seems like it. Again, I come back to, look, do you need a a more valid litmus test than someone who grew up in a family and spent half her life in the most oppressive communist nation on the planet and comes over here and says, hey, where's the freedom? Unbelievable. Because you know what they teach there? Capitalism bad. 
Communism, good. Guess what you hear over here? Capitalism, bad. That's where she's getting it from. She actually said that in her interview on Cudlow yesterday. And that's what's happening. Not only in our, sadly, in our institutions of higher education. Remember American Express? When we were highlighting many of the uh, corporate entities across the country that were a, there were just explosion of these DEI organizational units and forcing all their staff, all their team members, all their employees to complete all this training, sensitivity training and all these workshops. Had to take tests and do all these Q&A um, complete all these Q&A questionnaires, tools, score it all up. And it was American Express. Some of their materials included condemnation of capitalism, without which there would be no American Express. They ever think about that? It's unbelievable. It's incredible. And I'm not sure if management signed off on that or not, honestly. I don't know if they knew, if they were aware. But they probably were hesitant to stop it. Because if you did, it'd be global news. American Express is racist. That's what they'd say. Because, of course, capitalism is racist, right? I, th I think we've... Yeah, because there's winners and losers. Ah, you can't do that. No. That, that's not equitable. That flies in the face of equity. We've got to have equal outcomes. We're all miserable. Isn't that nice? So Biden tells yesterday, tells this IBEW group yesterday in Maryland that GOP plans would drive up the debt by $3 trillion at almost the precise time the CBO releases their report and says, based on this trajectory, we're looking at nearly $50 billion of debt in 10 years. How could there be such a disconnect? Don't answer that. I already know. It's a rhetorical question. Here he goes with this tired old talking point again. I want to reward work, not just wealth. So sick of that. He charged the GOP with hypocrisy for favoring tax policies, tax policies that could push the debt even higher. Meaning, you can't keep your money, you've got to send it to me. McCarthy, of course, says we got to come up with a plan for balancing the budget. And, I, and I'll tell you this, that's a joke, because nobody wants to hear it. If we don't address mandatory spending, you've got no chance of balancing the budget. So what they've said is, okay, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security off the table, debt interest off the table. All right, now we got 30% left that we can... Uh, of total spending that we can deal with. Okay, defense, that's off the table. Okay, now we're down to 15%. So-called discretionary non-defense domestic spending. So now we got just that 15%. You could cut every dime of it out, and we still produce a trillion-dollar deficit. Nobody wants to do the math on that. It's don't take my word for it. It's all published on the Department of Treasury websites. All those reports are there. I read the CBO's report yesterday, their projections for the next 10 years. Why don't we talk about this? Why isn't this getting any attention? Think about that. You 
You have a child today? By the time they're 10, the country's got $50 trillion in debt. That's a sobering thought. What kind of world are we producing for them? Nobody talks about it. Don't touch my Social Security and Medicare. I'm with you. I paid into it, too. A bunch. And as an employer, you pay in double. And so the only plan they've offered, again, is to lift the cap. They've got like a little hash tag. Lift the cap or something like that. At that least they promoting. finally figured out how to not make a long hashtag. <laughs> true. It defeats the entire purpose. And the CBO also reported yesterday we're going to hit this debt limit sometime between July and September. Wow. The White that House. right there should tell you all you need to know about government efficiency. Yeah, that's true. There's a they can't figure window. out when they're going to run out of money except for a three-month window. <laughs> But yet, these are the people that want you to pay more taxes and give them more money and power to do with it what they want when they can't be efficient enough to give you an end date. It's true. So, Maya McGinnis, president of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, says that lawmakers should be open-minded and consider changes across the board in order to lower deficits. Every quote, everything should be on the table to get our unsustainable fiscal problems under control. She will be accused of, see, they want to end Social Security and Medicare. That's what will happen. You mark my word. That's what the response will be. Mm-mm-mm. So they're just sparring about this whole Social Security. And while they're doing that, by the way, recent reports, costs are rising. Costs of Social Security are rising. And it is part of that report from the CBO yesterday showed Medicare and Social Security spending growth rapidly, rapidly. That was the statement, the word used in the report by the CBO, rapidly outpacing the growth in federal tax revenues over the next 10 years. Well, duh. And this is a product, we all know this, of baby boomers reaching retirement age. I'm one of them. I was at the tail end of it, but one of them which provide guaranteed income and health insurance, oh, until you die, no matter how much you paid in. And, of course, they're a big block of, of voters, too. Don't think the politicians don't know about that. I'm going to go out on a limb and make a prediction here about the Fed. We had the professor on a couple of days ago from Ole Miss discussing, uh, or was it yesterday, discussing monetary policy. I think we're going to see, it was yesterday, right? Yeah, we're going to see uh, the Fed continue to lift rates. We got the PPI report out today. It still shows inflation. The producer price index, that's the, the measurement of the cost of inputs to the production process. So the wholesale level, it, it spiked higher than expected, which basically tells the Fed, hey, guys, all this rate hiking you're doing, it ain't working. So we're going to continue to see them to do that. Then they're going to pause talk about hiking rates, pause toward the end of the year, and I predict we will drop into what will be described as a recession, and then sometime in the first quarter next year, they're going to start dropping rates, reducing rates, because it's election year. It's election year. So once again, we're going to make monetary policy and fiscal policy 
on the basis of getting elected, meaning, again, we've transferred too much dang power to the people who get elected. Getting elected is more important than doing the right thing for the people. Ron Klain, the White House Chief of Staff, just resigned, right? He's stepping down. He said yesterday, nope, 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 no excuse making for GOP cuts to Social Security. People who make 100K pay 6% of income to Social Security. People who make a million pay less than 1%. What GOPers like Scott and Johnson are proposing have nothing to do with saving Social Security. You're wrong, Ron. I'll talk about it when we come back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. What an appropriate tune that is for today. <laughs> The great Billy Joel, what a fantastic video. You know, that's our content director, Alex Payton's favorite artist, the great Billy Joel. I remember when I was, I think, high school when Piano Man was released. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Um, on the ceasefire text line, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Can you honestly tell me that if you had an adoptive child from China, you would have still called it the China virus? What say you? Well, yeah, because that'd be raising that child to be an American. Right. I mean, what do you do? Lie to him? Say, it really didn't come from China. See, that's the problem. We're so twisted up like a pretzel over words. You know what, what really kind of stuns me is these same people who get all bent out of shape over words tend to have potty mouths in public. You ever notice that? Oh, yeah. Same people. Which, it, it's not that it offends me. I just find it inappropriate. Almost to the point where I just don't want to hear it. And it's not that it's targeting me, not that I'm a prude by any stretch of the imagination, but can't we just reserve that for the locker room? But words are violence. Oh, geez. Silence is also considered violence, so I guess everything's violence to the left. It seems like it. We're just twisted up over words. Robin Hattiesburg reminds that math is racist. Yeah, we talked about that. Getting the right answer, the correct answer. Rugged individualism, can-do attitude. You remember that one. What was the uh, hard work, can-do attitude? There's something else. That was from the... Um, Sandia Labs report that we shared. There well, the, the phrase no can do is just blatantly offensive. You can't say that anymore at all, right? Sandia Labs, they are the, the, the folks that um, make our nuclear arsenal. And they were one of the first to, uh, to implement and conduct all this, all this uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion seminars and, and training. That one probably got our attention first, Rhino. It did me, and yeah, this was in August 2020, not long after the George Floyd incident, where every company in America was uh, 
was investing in conducting these uh, these sort of training seminars, workshops, etc. And in this case, Sandia Labs, they actually took all their executives off-site for the seminars, off-site, to focus on it. And they required them to write apology letters to marginalized people. This is the kind of stuff Miss Park observes, the immigrant from North Korea, and scratches her head and says, yeah, this is what they do in North Korea here, this sort of stuff. Yeah, rugged individualism, a can-do attitude, hard work, and striving towards success. The training instructed the management team of Sandia Labs that those are, in fact, quote, devastating to women and people of color. Can-do attitude, hard work, striving towards success, and rugged individualism. The trainers taught the Sandia Labs management team, that, quote, white male culture leads to, quote, lowered quality of life at work and home, reduced life expectancy, unproductive relationships, and high stress. It forces the white male standard on women and minorities. This is the kind of stuff, now this is three years old, nearly three years old, two and a half to be more exact. And this sort of content is being thrust on workers and students throughout this country. It's incredible. And you say it's not going on here in Mississippi. I beg to differ. There are a lot of folks here that work for these big companies that have been most active in establishing these units these departments within their organizations, and pay a ton for it. These folks that work in these roles, they're highly compensated individuals. Seems a bit hypocritical now, doesn't it? Just a bit. We're denouncing capitalism, and the people that create the materials to rail against capitalism are making five hundred grand a year. Like the Bernie Sanders Stadium Tour, where you can buy tickets to how capitalism is bad. (laughs) Tickets start at 50 bucks. Mm-mm-mm. Gary wants to know if the Spanish flu is offensive. Well, we already discussed that it it, it actually originated, we know now, in in uh, this country, at a military well, that's base. Debated. That's debated. It's a theory, is that that's where it There's came from. There's about seven different theories, including that it came from Spain, because it was first reported in Spain. Oh, gosh. The argument against that is that Spain was not being censored as much as other European powers because of World War One. That's right. So they were free to report on it. That, and so it's because... But the first known outbreak reported on was in Spain. Right. Because they were reporting. So that's about all we know about it. Which you're probably right. We really may not know the, the true origin. I don't think there's ever been any debate about whether or not COVID came from China... It's Except just from the Chinese. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. They the little propaganda cartoon they put out saying it came from America. That's right. This capitalism is what did it, right? Which was about as funny as their propaganda cartoon about their balloon. That's true. Where it was dodging bullets from the fighter jet and going through dogfight maneuvers. It's a freaking balloon. <laughs> that they lost control of. Allegedly. 
Yeah, that's true. Paula Meridian says, these people are too ignorant to realize we're blaming the Chinese government, not the Chinese people. Excellent point, Paul, and you're precisely right. Precisely right. And the Chinese government is struggling, as you know, with uh, keeping them in the dark. Unfortunately for them, the world is way more connected than it ever has been, and information proliferates, even with the Great Firewall of China on the Internet, it still gets out there. Imagine that. And the more they learn about uh, another way of life, uh, the more problems that causes for the Chinese government. Because they need everybody to fall in line and be good, little, obedient communists. Yeah, the more the Chinese population learns, the less the Chinese government has the mandate from heaven. That's true. Which is? That is how they decide rulers. Pretty much, if, if you are the ruler and you keep doing things the right way, it's proof that you have the mandate of heaven. But when things start going wrong, it's proof that it's time to get a new leader. Makes sense. Xi Jinping is out to make his mark, leave his legacy. And there are many experts who are predicting the invasion of Taiwan in 24 before the election to disrupt and factor that into the uh, the election here in America. Because they see that as uh, kind of a non-violent approach to causing harm to this country, damaging the country. And they would be right. I've always been concerned about not so much hacking voting machines that are used in casting a ballot. I've always been more concerned about bad actors infiltrating the voter rolls that are maintained by the counties in this country. It's where they typically are stored, and they're all generally independent computer systems that are incredibly vulnerable and not very well guarded against cyber attacks be pretty easy to attack. And if they were somehow to, say, release some sort of malicious code that locked up those systems, it's not a matter of changing votes. It's a matter of you can't vote. Think about the havoc that would wreak, the chaos on this country. It's it's a, a real vulnerability should be concerned about. I have an adopted child from China, and I have been honest with both of them about it. Age-appropriate, of course, says Adam and Madison. Good for you, Adam, and, and thanks for letting us know that. And uh, I, our, um, our gratitude to you, honestly, for adopting a child, that, that is impressive, and you're to be commended for that, to taking a child into your house and, and taking care of them. But I think that's the right – I think Adam's got the right idea there. Be honest. And, and uh, do it at an age-appropriate time. It makes total sense. Jeez. Uh, Cedric from Dido wanted to know, when are we going to get the mandate from heaven to remove Biden? <laughs> what about the Hong Kong flu? Is there such a thing? Hong Kong flu? I don't know if I remember that. Whatever happened to sticks and stones may break your bones, but word will not hurt you. That's out the window, as they say. Yeah, the Hong Kong flu was a pandemic in the 60s. 
Okay, I do remember that when I was growing up. Uh, also, JoJo and Bentonia, who asked that question, says, if we balance the budget, became debt-free in 10 years, how much will we save in interest alone, not being $50 trillion in debt? I'd have to do the math on that, but I'm going to guess it would be $7 trillion between now and then, based on the current runway. Coming right back on Midday's final segment. Stay with us. means middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. We're back with you in the Element Well Studios today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. You'll hear an interview with singer-songwriter Eric Dillon. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is pre- presented by visitmississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Super Talk Mississippi stations, supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts and don't forget opening day, opening day for college baseball. That's going to happen tomorrow. Is that right? Oh, yeah. But the guys from Sports Talk will be in Oxford today, today. at Swayze because if they went tomorrow, they wouldn't be able to talk to the coaches and players because they'd be busy getting ready. Yeah. Supposed to be a little chilly for the game tomorrow, getting a little improved throughout Typical the weekend. Typical opening weekend weather. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the Sports Talk folks are up there today. Today on the February the 16th. So I, I wanted to go back and address what old Ron Klain said. Nope, nope, nope. No excuse making for GOP cuts to Social Security. And so by raising the retirement age, which has been the main the, the, the main solution to address the the uh, the shortfalls in the financial instability, the financial condition of the program simply by proposing to raise the retirement age, that is being described by the Democrats as a cut. And so when they hear that, when people hear that, they think, oh gosh, the Republicans are going to cut my check that I rely on right now, every month. Next month, if Republicans get in, it's going down. That's what they think and hear. And they're they're wily, are these politicians. I know you didn't know that, did you? In other words, they lie, is what they do. So I guess you could say, well, technically, that's maybe cutting it, and cutting the overall expenses for the program. And I guess you could say, well, by pushing the retirement age out, which would apply to people at some level in the program now, some some age now that participate in it. It wouldn't apply to folks about to retire. It's just kind of a way to phase in for people that are a good ways away from retirement. The expectation, of course, that they're going to live longer. Because they are. That's a problem. It's a problem in a defined benefit program context. 
And so he says people who make 100k pay 6% of their income. People who make a million pay less than 1%. That's because after they hit the cap, the threshold, which is presently $160,000, wages over that are not subject to it. But it's disingenuous the way he presents that. Because while it's true, folks that make less than that threshold pay the full 6% on all their wages because their wages never go above the threshold. So people who make a million, they max out once they hit the 160. The part that he doesn't explain, however, and it's putting this, they use these numbers to make it look so unjust, so wrong, so unfair. Well, these people paid 6%, they paid 1%. And the average person out there thinks they literally have a different rate applied. They don't realize this is because they stop paying in on an annual basis once they hit the threshold. So they make That's more why money. Democrats lie, because their voting block is full of the willfully ignorant. It's terrible. But what the other piece that, that inside of this that he won't disclose is that, okay, but the person who's making a million and is hitting the threshold every year and paying that additional 6% on $60,000 or more, uh, uh, more a year of income than the person making 100000 therefore paying more in, is not getting any more out. That's what they don't tell you. Pay more in, get less out. But you got to pay your fair share. They they would deem that as fair. It would be fair then, which is what they want to do, to lift the cap such that the person making a million dollars is going to pay the full 6% or $60,000 a year, and the person making 100000 is going to pay $6,000 a year. So the million-dollar earner pays 10 times as much. Now, fast forward, they both get ready to retire. The person making the million gets less money than the person that, that uh, made 100000 You pay 60000 a year in for your whole life that you're earning a million dollars, you get less out. You pay 6000 in, you get more out. But that's fair. That's upside down so bad. But that's what they describe as fair. They just want the guy making or gal making a million to pay for the retirement of the person making a hundred thousand. That's fair to them. We're out of time here today. We thank you so much for joining us. We're back in the studios again tomorrow, of course. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.